tonight. If you would, take your hymn book. Let's stand together. Turn to page 223. Page number 223. We're going to sing Standing on the Promise. We'll sing all four verses as we begin the service tonight. Sing with me. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal angels let His praises ring. Welcome you all to the service tonight. But ask Brother John Ellis, would you pray for us as we begin, please? Amen. You may be seated tonight. Just want to begin again with a few announcements. As Brother John just mentioned, uh, of course, be in prayer for Pastor Stewart as he is out of town and uh, preaching there in the Berean Baptist Church today in place of Brother Abel's. As Brother Abel's is out of the country uh, in Scotland. And so just uh, pray for um, Pastor as he's gone to help safe travels, travels back tomorrow. Then want to leave uh, some other announcements with you. Don't forget we have a churchwide outreach this Saturday. We'll meet over next door in the Fellowship Hall at 1030 in the morning, and I look forward to seeing each and every one of you there, all right, to go out and spread the gospel on Saturday. Um, also, don't forget, Faith Baptist School starts next Monday, next Monday, so a week from tomorrow. Hard to believe it's already here, um, but uh, the kids are going, oh, and the parents are going, yes, the kids are out of the house, all right, so uh, we're looking forward to school starting uh, next week. We've got a, just a full uh, school this year, full of kids, and so we're excited about that. And uh, so be ready for that. Doors will open at 8 a.m. next Monday morning for those coming to school. And uh, don't forget, uh, a week from next Sunday, missionary Jonathan Switzer will be here with us. Looking forward to having him in both services on Sunday the 20th. And then uh, Tuesday the 22nd will be the first ladies' meeting of the year. All right, so ladies plan for that 7 o'clock on uh, August the 22nd. On August the 27th in the p.m. service, that's a Sunday, in the p.m. service, Brother Dave Hardy will be here preaching uh, that night. If you uh, have never heard him before, you will enjoy uh, hearing him preach. Uh, just a good, great man of God, a great, wonderful preacher, good friend, 
uh, to us. And so uh, he was one of my professors when I was in college and uh, really uh, enjoyed his class. He, was, he left a, a good, um, just a good mark on my life, just the help that he was to me. So be here that evening and enjoy him on the 27th. Also that night, we have a Linger Longer afterwards, so we're going to stay and linger longer, all right? And uh, we'll have some time of fellowship over in the, in the fellowship hall and have an open gym, things like that, and uh, a lot of uh, just finger foods and snacks and stuff like that. So if, you, if you're planning on coming that night and you can bring some, uh, just some snack food, that would be great. Uh, bring it with you and uh, we'll, uh, for everything, everyone to share, and then we'll enjoy that Sunday night, the 27th, all right? So just a lot of things coming up. Uh, men, don't forget, uh, in September, the men's outreach, or outreach, recharge, Get the right thing in my head. The men's recharge um, down there in uh, Andover, Kansas. We'll be traveling down on the 22nd, coming back on the 23rd. So make sure and make a note of that, that that date has changed to the 22nd, 23rd of September. There's a sign-up out there on the left-hand side in the outer foyer as you leave if you would like to go with us on that trip. We look forward to having each and every one of you go with us to that. All right, let's turn to page number 306. Page number 306, and we'll continue our evening singing from there page number 306 only a sinner saved by grace sing it out on the first not have i gotten but what i received grace hath bestowed it since i have believed boasting excluded that song sometimes you know we think that we really have it all together we're really something we're really not only because of God's grace do we have anything amen and thank God for salvation and his grace in our lives and that's brother Ethan Whitney if you would pray for the offering tonight please amen
last time tonight. Let's turn to page 292. Page number 292 for our last song together. Oh, happy day. Page number 292. Let's sing all four verses again tonight. Lift it up on that first verse with me. Oh, happy day that makes my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Oh, may this glow with heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. standing. Get your Bibles ready for the message tonight. Uh, it has been good to have Brother Ben Quinlan and his family here. And uh, I was out, we were out to lunch today, went and got some good Mexican food. Amen. And uh, we were right there and Pastor texted me and he said, how did everything go this morning? I said, it went great. We're out eating Mexican food with the Quinlan family right now. He said, I'm out eating Mexican food too. I'm just finishing up and I'm going to get a good Baptist nap. And I told Brother Ben the same thing, and he said, amen, that's next on the list, the Baptist nap, all right? But uh, it's good to have he and his, and his family here, and so uh, give him your attention and give the Word of God attention as he comes to preach tonight. Brother Ben, come on. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 12 is where we're at tonight. Um, I, got, I, I took upon myself two tasks this evening. Uh, uh, in the course of the evening. One was uh, dad wanted all the men to know at the end of his lesson during the men's Bible time, uh, he mentioned Hezekiah being a, a, a king of Israel that brought in bad things, ma uh, the mangroves in the Temple Mount and changed uh, the, the brazen altar, moved the brazen altar and brought in a, a false altar. And uh, he was mistaken. It was not Hezekiah, it was Manasseh. And that's a very key difference. Those are two different men. Uh, Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah, but Hezekiah was a good king. Manasseh was not. He was not a good king. Uh, then there's one other thing I was tasked with saying, and I can't remember what it was. It's one of those things I took upon myself, and I was going to remember, and now I don't. So we'll just give up on that. Uh, but the, something else I did want to say, I didn't mention this morning. I wanted to thank you all uh, for uh, being attentive listeners this morning and uh, for paying attention to the Word of God. And I know Brother Stewart's not here, but if you could express my thanks to him for letting me come. Uh, I do not take it lightly to fill somebody else's pulpit. I don't take it lightly when I ask somebody else to fill my pulpit. And so I understand it's a great honor and a privilege, and I appreciate the opportunity, appreciate the uh, hospitality of the Watsons taking us out to eat and the church uh, caring for us. Uh, in many ways, it is like coming home uh, because my wife and I both grew up here. 
And so while some people have come and some people have gone, it's still a lot like coming home. Uh, I think I was mentioning to Brother Bellis this morning that this is about the only place where I really get nervous before I preach. And I don't know that I have any reason to, uh, but it's long been my belief that you sh- as long as the butterflies fly in formation, we're okay, we're all right. Uh, so Judges chapter 12, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Judges chapter 12, helpful if I got there, and verses 1 through 6. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over. But the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay, they said unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. Over a petty, ridiculous issue. Ridiculous. There was no reason... This battle should have been fought. No reason. But they did it anyway. And so we're going to look at the, why, this was, uh, why this happened and then what we can do to avoid the same... Uh, not that we expect to fight an army of 42,000, right? But we can avoid what the Ephraimites did. We can avoid the same mentality and the same attitude within ourselves. But first, we do have to address what it is. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. I do thank you for the opportunity to once again open your word and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And certainly, Lord, my desire is that it not be my words, not just what I want to say, but your message through me to the people of Faith Baptist Church. I pray, Lord, that that you would empower, you would enable, and that I'd be hidden behind the cross. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have free reign to work in the hearts and minds of people this evening to draw them to you and make us more like Christ. I pray, Lord, that your will be done. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. (coughs) Excuse me. Forgive me for just a moment, but I'm still dwelling on There's one thing, and I know it's right there on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of what it is. It's just bothering me. So, Lord willing, now that I've got that out of my system, we can move on and I won't come back to it, but there's no telling. Um... All right, so we have Jephthah and the Ephraimites. Uh, this is not the first time in the book of Judges that this kind of event has happened. If we went back, I can't remember at the moment what chapter it is. I want to say it's chapter 6 or 7 uh, with Gideon. Y'all remember Gideon, right? Gideon and uh, his battle. Gideon and his 300 men against the Midianites. And Gideon faced something very similar to Jephthah did. Uh, so Gideon called out to all the tribes around him. Uh, let, let's see two things real quick. Uh, judges, the judges in Israel were regional. They weren't like the king who had command over the entire nation. So they would have a region that they were working in and God called them to be in. So they wouldn't necessarily send messengers out to the whole land, but they would send it to surrounding uh, tribes where the, the people were that would be affected by whatever uh, opposing force there was. And so Gideon did that very thing. He sent the word out, we're going to fight against the Midianites. And we all know the story, right? 32,000 showed up and God said, whoa, 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 that's too many against 135,000. So we got to cut this down. And they get it down to 22, or no, they get it down to, yeah, 22 first, right? No, 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 they cut 22, so there's 10, and then he cut another 9,700, so he gets it down to 300, so it's 450 to 1 odds, because those are manageable, 
And uh, we all understand God's purpose with that, that, that he makes that wonderful statement, lest Israel say, uh, lest Israel vaunt themselves and say, mine own hand hath saved me. God wanted to be very clear to Gideon and Israel, this was an act of God, not because you're such great tacticians and strategists. So after all that battle was fought and won, the Ephraimites come to Gideon. And they say very much the same thing they've said to Jephthah. Hey, why didn't you call us to this battle? Now, I don't know why the Ephraimites are so concerned about wanting to be in the fight, but they do. They want to fight along with everybody else. They want to be there. They want to help out. They want a piece of this action. And they kept getting missed out on it. The first time, uh, the first time that it happens, it was part of God's plan. God only wanted 300. The, uh, the Ephraimites were not going to be part of that battle. Uh, and I like Gideon's response because Gideon basically says, Oh, you Ephraimites. Man, if we'd had you, we'd have won. Look at how much better the Ephraimites are than where my hometown is. I mean, look at us. We're nothing but the Ephraimites. Oh, boy. And so he ate a little bit of crow, and it pacified the Ephraimites, and they went about their business. And as we've already read, with Jephthah, it didn't turn out that way. It, it wasn't the same kind of thing. Uh, now, can I give you just a little bit here? So that's about the Ephraimites. Jephthah has just won a great battle. By God's hand. It, it, I know it's a little bit different than what happened with Gideon, but a great battle was fought and won, and God gets a victory, and Israel is freed from the oppressor. Boy, that should be a time to celebrate, right? God ha hand, God's hand has won over Israel's enemy. And that's a wonderful thing. But Jephthah here, I'm sorry, not Jephthah, Ephraim, Ephraim can't stand the, the fact the Jephthah won without their help, without Ephraim taking some part in this battle. And that's a problem. That's a problem. I, and I'm not going to try to unpack all of the problem with that. Maybe the Ephraimites were just warmongers. They really wanted to fight. That's entirely possible. But we don't have a clear understanding of why they were con so concerned. But it was a problem. God won. Why are we going to make a big deal about we got to stay home and stay with our families and work our fields and do our jobs? Our lives were not in danger, and we hate that. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. All right, verse 2, uh, Jephthah explains very clearly, Hey, I called for your help, and there was no answer. And I, I, I imagine Jephthah was on a time crunch, that, that he needed to get rid of the oppressors. It was time. They had been under this oppression for long enough. They had to act. And so when nobody else came to his help, he acted. He got the people that would help, and they, they went to work. And God blessed. It's not as though Jephthah was going outside of the will of God. It's not as though Jephthah was doing something that was untoward. It wasn't though as though he was trying to conquer some other people who were living there peaceably. There was an invading force, and they were there to protect themselves. And so they did exactly that. Um, just in case you're wondering, we're not going to get into Jephthah's vow. We're not tonight. That, that was a different message, and I think it was a mess, but we're not getting into that. So, you can put that out of your mind. We're not touching on it. Uh, I want you to see a second problem here in dealing with Ephraim. Ephraim wanted to be part of this battle, right? Uh, look down the, what is it, the last half of verse 1. Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? Now, I, I like to understand why people are doing what they're doing. I think it's important to understand somebody's motives, somebody's intentions. Why are these people so concerned? And here, why is Ephraim so concerned that he be part of this battle? And while there are possibilities, there are things we also have to exclude that, that you know, a thought might come up. And here's one that I think we have to look at as a second problem here with Ephraim that, that cannot be the reason they wanted to participate. Uh, if Ephraim's desire had truly been to help in the battle, we are servants and we want to serve. We want to do the will of God. We want to help our brethren. And so since you didn't let us help, we're going to burn you to the ground. Those two things don't seem to jive, do they? We want to help you, and so since we couldn't, we're going to burn your houses down on top of you. That doesn't make sense. 
So I get the feeling that this second problem here is not... Uh, the, the mm, Ephraim was not just looking to help. Because if they had wanted to help, once the battle's won, why would they make a big deal out of it? Why wouldn't they just celebrate? Man, I'm so sorry we missed out. We would have helped you if we could, but we're glad you won, so let's celebrate. Let's glorify God's name. Let's have a big party because the, the invaders are gone. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. So their heart, whatever it was, it was not a heart of service. It was not. Because they're looking to burn them to the ground. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 3. We already read it. Jephthah is trying to calm the situation. He does it differently than Gideon, but I don't think he does anything wrong here. He's explaining the whys and the wherefores. Uh, Gideon and Jephthah deal with it two different ways. But I can't look at Jephthah and say, oh boy, Jephthah, man, if you had worded this just a little bit differently, you could have placated them and you could have brought it down. I, I, I don't know that I could say that. I don't know that I could say that Jephthah did anything wrong. Uh, there's something to be said for Gideon maybe doing just a little bit of pandering to Ephraim in the first place instead of teaching them, until, instead of helping them understand, no, 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 guys, this is not how it's supposed to go. Uh, so I, I'm not willing to say that Jephthah did anything wrong, but he does try to calm the situation. He trust, does try to use some negotiation to bring the situation down and uh, uh, you know, get, get past this without having to be uh, a fight involved. But I want you to see a third problem. Uh, we already kind of addressed it. There at the end of verse 1, we will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Uh, look down at verse 4, about halfway through. Uh, let's see. Jephthah's getting the men together. The men of Gilead smote Ephraim because... Now this must have happened before, right? To prompt this fight. The Ephraimites said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. So here's this idea that is presented that Ephraim is threatening and insulting Jephthah and his homeland and his people. That Ephraim is trying to get a fight started. How many of us, if you, guys, let's focus on the guys for a moment. How many of you would stand idly by if somebody insulted your mother? Not many of us, right? Or your wife. That we're not, we're not going to stand for that. That's not how it's going to go. Uh, we're going to get up and we're going to do something. And that's kind of what Ephraim's done. He's tried to take this to the next He really, really wants to fight. And so he's going to threaten. He's going to insult. And I think Jephthah just got to this point and said, All right, guys, if you want to fight, we'll fight. Let's go. We're, we're going to... We're, we're at the... the, the uh, uh, the Mexican restaurant today, and we were watching the baseball game, and Eric told me what was yesterday's game between KC and the Phillies that apparently a fight ensued, and the gloves came off, right? And that got us talking about when you go to a fight and a hockey game breaks out, that they, come on, just my mom? Oh, man. <laughs> no more jokes <laughs> that you go to a hockey game, and they're known for having a fight, right? They throw down the gloves and they're, they're throwing punches and pulling shirts over guys' heads. And it's fun and it's enjoyable. Uh, it's, <laughs> this is a different level than that. These really wanted to fight. And I, I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you here's why. But I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, can, I, can I say too, that if you start reading through and really studying through the book of Judges... There's a lot of weird things that happen in Judges. Weird things. Uh, we're, I just started getting into Samson a week or two ago. And Samson's a weird dude. He's a weird guy. He does weird things. And it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, Ephraim here is being weird. And it, it, I know it goes beyond that. Because they get a fight going that ends up with 42,000 Ephraimites dead. Because, for, for what? For some petty thing, well, we want to fight. We, we were left out, and we want to fight. So they got to fight. This regional civil war ensues over a petty, petty issue. Everybody 
could have stayed home and we wouldn't have most of chapter 12 if Ephraim had just been content to say, hey, they won. All right, let's go back out to the fields. Let's open up the shop. And everybody would have been just fine. But they could not do it. And 42,000, we saw it there at the end of verse uh, verse 6. 42,000, whether in the battle or Gilead, uh, took those fords and cut them off there over a petty issue. So we want to figure out what is the issue? Why? Why are they, why are they doing this? What is, the, what is the character trait, the negative character trait that led Ephraim into this battle? There really was no substantial root cause to this conflict. There was nothing. Uh, they're all brothers. They're all children of Israel. There's no reason for this. No reason that Ephraim should have been bent out of shape. But there is a character trait at the root cause of it. So, I want to give you two things here real quick. Uh, we're looking, what I believe this is, is envy. Envy. In both instances, Ephraim is envious of those that won the battle. They won. Uh, let, me, let me give you a definition of envy, because envy and jealousy are often confused. Uh, I've been, uh, s- since doing the study on this, I've been noticing that every once in a while jealousy comes up and it's really envy that they're talking about, or vice versa. So I want you to be clear, here's what uh, Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary says about envy. It's about three definitions all combined. Uh, it is uneasiness, discontent, fretting, grieving, and or hatred... Would that sound like those terms would describe Ephraim here in this passage? Yeah, yeah. Uneasiness, discontent, fretting, grieving, and or hatred stemming from another's real or supposed superiority or success. Real or supposed. Even if there's not anything really there. You know, I, I'm going to try not to get into too many tangents. And I, I heard a long discussion this afternoon about going down rabbit trails, so I'm trying to be careful. Uh, not that bad, but sometimes what we perceive about another person is not the reality. And and I'm certain there's a message there, it's just not tonight's message. We've got to be careful that we look upon somebody and we perceive a thing to be the truth when it's not the truth. It's not the reality. It's just our perception and we can recognize those things and work through them and be able to be under a lot more understanding of another person when we'll understand it, it's just the way I'm perceiving it. It may not necessarily be the reality. So uneasiness, discontent, fretting, grieving, and or hatred stemming from another's real or supposed superiority or success. And in many ways, envy is akin to covetousness. I want what they have. They're, they've got a superiority, they've got a success, and I wanted that. I want a part of that. I, I want to be able to enjoy the same thing. So there's a, an aspect of overlap between it and covetousness. So the question then becomes to us, is envy a small thing? Is envy a small thing? Ah, just a little envious, you know, a little green with envy, right? I, I don't have something, they do, and I'd like to have it. I, I want to have that thing. Now, this obviously is more because of the discontent, fretting, grieving, potentially hatred, that because they have it and I don't. Uh, jealousy, just for the moment here, uh, jealousy is what I have and I'm not willing to share. We have a jealous God. He does not want to share our affections with another God. Praise the Lord for it. So jealousy and envy are different things. They're kind of like flip sides of the same coin, if you will. But we're dealing with envy tonight. Is envy a small thing? All right, first off, don't envy sinners. Don't envy sinners. Don't envy those that are not believers. They're not following God. Uh, It is easy to observe the seeming ease of those not serving Christ and desire what they have. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say, boy, it would be nice to have two days off in the week. It'd be nice uh, for... I, I, because of the, the fact that I have to work a full-time job, so not always, but frequently I'm working five days a week at my day job, plus Wednesday night services, plus Sunday services, and if you're working 40, 50 hours during the week, 
you know when studying happens? Saturday. So I guess it'd be nice if I had one day off. It doesn't always happen that way. And please, I'm not looking for pity or anything like that. It's just how it is, and God works it out and praise the Lord for it. But I've looked at other people mowing their yard on Sunday morning and thought, wouldn't it be nice to wake up late and just go mow the lawn? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's carnality right there. That's the flesh wanting to rear up its ugly head. The boy, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to have a brand new vehicle? 10% plus of my money is going to God's house. Wouldn't it be nice to keep that money? How many of you get your giving record at the end of the year and think, whoa, that's a car payment. I've done it. I've done it. But I always understand very quickly that God is more important than any new vehicle, than any trip, than anything we can get. I, I would much rather be in the house of God than anywhere else on Sundays or Wednesday nights. Anyway, I, and, and part, I suppose somebody could make the argument, well, you know, you've been doing it. How long have I been doing it? I could have mom come up here and tell you the story, but I'll just tell it for time's sake. Uh, mom went into labor Wednesday night at the end of church. So I was born Thursday morning at 1232, as memory serves. How many times I've heard that story. And guess where I was on Sunday morning? In church. Two and a half days old, three days old. I'm in church. So I've been in church since I could be in church. I, I can't imagine being somewhere else. You know how weird it is for me if for whatever reason the weather puts off church or COVID put off church? I'm sitting at home. This is wrong. This is so wrong. We should be at church right now. It's just how it feels. But I don't ever want to be at the place that I come to church because of an obligation. Well, that's just what I've always done, so that's what I'm going to do. No, I want to be here. I want to be in God's house. I want to hear the preaching of the Word, and as God, long as God will allow me and have me do it, I want to proclaim the Word of God. I don't want to change those things. All right, let's get off that rabbit trail. I'm sorry. Don't envy sinners. It's easy to want stuff, to enjoy the fun, to have the time for yourself that the lost have, but God tells us a few different things. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. All right, we're getting into God's Word. Because I want you to see this is not just what I think, but this is what God says. Here's what God says about envying the sinner. <coughs> Sorry, wrong direction. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 73 and verse 1. <clears throat> Truly, God is good to Israel. Wait a second. Wait a second. No, I did this once before, didn't I? Hold on. That is a good verse, but it's not the one I'm looking for. Verse 3 is, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And Psalm 73 does go through, and it's David working out the same issue. I see all this, and I see the wicked, and I see what they're being prospered and all this kind of stuff. And then at the very end of it, he says, uh, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. The wicked, the unbeliever, may be enjoying life now, but the day will come when we have to pay the piper, as it were. God has, oh man, God has offered salvation. He has offered, mm, we got to back up further than that. All humanity are sinners, right? In need of a Savior without salvation because of the sin within us. The eternal destiny is hell after this life. Torment, pain, suffering, separation from God, darkness, all the bad things that are there. It's not going to be partying it up with buddies. It's not. It's torment. It's horrible. And God doesn't, does not send people there. He is trying to save them from it. And so because He's trying to save them from it, He sent Christ to die on the cross so that He would become the propitiation. He would be the satisfaction. He would take our place. He would pay our debt so that we can avoid death and hell and sin altogether at the end of this life. But if a person refuses Christ, if they refuse faith in Him, if they refuse the free gift that God offers, then the only the only thing they have to look forward to is that kind of eternal punishment. 
God is offering. That's why He works through believers and why He tells us to go out and be a witness. We need to tell people. They are going, oh my, by the multitudes passing into a Christless hell. And we have the answer, we just got to go tell them. They need to know. We can't force people to believe. That's not our job. But let the Word of God work in their hearts and draw them to Christ. That's our responsibility. We should never be excited to know that, yeah, those people have gone off into hell. No, that's a terrible and awful thing. We need to let people know. We need to let people know. But that's not the verse we were looking at today. Psalm, I think it's 37. Yep. Just transpose numbers. Since I didn't have to misspell it, it looked right, but it's not. Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. God doesn't want us to be concerned and, and uneasy and discontent. Look what they have, and I don't. God doesn't want us to be that way. Uh, Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. And verse 17. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read these once I get there, just for time's sake. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Proverbs 24 and verse 1, probably just across the page. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Proverbs 24, verse 19. Uh, There it is. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. Don't want what they have. Whatever stuff it might be, whatever opportunity it might be, fret not thyself. Don't don't worry about what they have and you don't. Let it go. Don't be envious. It's not going to help anybody. Uh, Let's see. What's our next thing here? Uh, In all four of these passages, God has revealed that uh, He goes on beyond the verse that we read to reveal that destruction, mischief, and loss are in their future. Everyone, we get envious about it, and we've got to understand that the end of their life is not going to be pleasant. It's not. And I know suffering can happen to us, but we have hope in Christ. And we know that that all His ways are mercy and truth. Uh, Keep in mind that you don't know all that the lost man endures behind the scenes without the hope or help of Christ that you have, that, that you have. So... I remember this commercial from years ago. I don't remember if it was a loan company or I don't remember what it was. But it had this guy that was dressed, you know, nicely. And he had a new car. And he's going around showing you all these things. He got a new car and a new boat and a new RV and this humongous nice house and his wife and 2.3 kids. And, he, you know, everything's perfect. Everything's great. He's, he's on his brand new lawn tractor mowing his weedless green grass. And he's been talking about all how wonderful things are. He says, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. Somebody please help me. <laughs> how true is that, right? Just because there's an appearance that everything is great doesn't mean that's the case. It doesn't mean that. So we could get envious over something that is a non-issue in the first place. Don't be looking at others. Don't be looking at the lost and saying, boy, I wish... You don't know what's behind those scenes. You have a hope that, that is incomparable to anything they have. Keep trusting in Christ. All right, but if we're not going to envy sinners, we've got to be careful about envying believers too, don't we? Don't envy other believers. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Like I said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to read it once I get there. 1 Corinthians 3, 3. For ye are yet carnal. You're of the flesh. You're minding the things of the flesh. You're worried about what's here and now and what, what is, you know, the things that are not spiritual and they're not godly. They're not of the Spirit. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Envy reveals carnality. When we get wanting what other believers have, it reveals the fleshliness of ourselves, it reveals how carnal we are, and that we're more concerned about this life than we are about what God has for us. Uh, Envy pouring out of your heart 
shows that you are walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. Uh, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if we're envying, we are not walking in the spirit. We're, we're off kilter, we're in the wrong path, and we need to get things straight. Uh, look over at Psalm 106 and verse 16. Psalm 106. <clears throat> Verses 16 and 17. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Do you all remember the account? Moses is there and, and Dathan and Abiram and Korah was kind of the head of that, but he got consumed in a different way. And they said, you're taking too much authority upon yourselves. Do we all understand Moses didn't even want that authority? How many times could we look at Scripture where Moses said, please, Lord, kill me now. Just get, let somebody else deal with this issue. All these two million people, I don't want it. Moses was not looking for that responsibility. God called him to it and enabled him to do it. And these are envious at the authority that he had. Moses, uh, as, as the meekest man that has ever been, said, you know what, guys, let's bring it before God. And uh, I, I love how God puts it as uh, Dathan and Abiram are there. He says, all right, all you rest of you children of Israel, just step back from their homes uh, because they're going to get swallowed by the earth. And that will show whom I have chosen and whom I have not. That will just make it abundantly clear. God didn't want that spirit of envy within his people. And so he destroyed those people from that, the, the children of Israel. Uh, any number of things could be true when we're talking about envying believers. Maybe you envy God working in their life. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say sometimes in my life that, uh, that there have been times I thought, you know, there could be a better preacher at Bible Baptist Church. I, I, have y'all seen that, my, my t-shirt that I have? Y'all, some, if you know the t-shirt, what is it? Uh, I-Y-K-Y-K, if you know, you know. Uh, world's okayest pastor. Uh, I, I have that as kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but there's an amount of that that is just self-deprecation. And I, I understand that about myself, so it's easy to make fun of it, and I'll oh, just laugh, ha, ha, ha. Um, but... I have felt like somebody else could do this job better. Somebody else could do. But then I remember, well, God chose me. God put me there. God looked over all the people that ever could be, and he said, ah, I want you. I want you. You're the one for that job. So as you're looking at somebody else's ministry, well, I'd rather be doing that, or I'd rather be doing that, or you know, I could do that better than they could. No, God looked down over all of humanity and said, I want you here. And I want you doing this because I know you are the person that I want doing it. And nobody else will be able to do it like you can. God chose that. God decided that. So don't ever sell yourself short. Don't be envious of somebody else who has a ministry. Uh, maybe you envy the blessing that God has allowed another to enjoy. Again, I'd be lying to you if I said I've never thought, boy, look at all that this person gets handed and I don't have the same stuff. That I do have to work 40, 50 hours a week and then study on top of that and all the church stuff as well. Other people don't. And, and I could go on and on with different kind of things, scenarios that we could come up with to say we too can be envious as believers of believers. And God doesn't want that. God's plan for you is different from theirs. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So you keep doing what God wants you to do, and don't worry about what He has for somebody else. In fact, as we kind of saw this morning, rejoice with them that rejoice. They got a blessing. Praise the Lord for it. They've got, they're doing a great work over here in this ministry. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. When we all rejoice together and we all do the job we're supposed to do, God is glorified and people are given the gospel. It's a wonderful and awesome thing. So don't envy sinners. Don't envy believers. And then I want to come back to this idea. Envy may seem like a small thing, 
But envy gets lumped in with all kinds of wickedness throughout Scripture on more than one occasion. Uh, uh, let's see, Romans 1, verse 28. I appreciate your attention, and I'm maybe not running as fast as I could through this, but I'm, I'm working towards the end. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, down through verse 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder. Well, those two things don't seem to go together. Envy is just a little thing, and murder is a big thing. Well, God said full of envy, murder, murder. So that it may not be as little a thing as we think it is. It's not just a little green with envy. Sounds like it's, you know, a really bright day glow neon green with envy. It's a big deal. It's a big, I don't want to say the consequences are the same, but God says it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And you could look down through, again, envy's lumped in with all these other uh, wickedness, sin, moral failure, all kinds of stuff. Um, Romans chapter 13, verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. It's like that, that's not what God wants us to walk in. That's not where God wants us to live. That's not where God wants us to dwell. He doesn't want us engaging in that kind of stuff. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't take it as a badge of honor that, boy, I envy and I cause lots of strife. Uh, that's, not, that's not something to be proud of. It's not something to glory in. Uh, and lie not against the truth, your heart is deceiving you. If you're envying and you feel justified in your envy, your heart is lying to you. You are deceived. You're deceiving yourself. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. It has nothing to do with God and is contrary to Him. Earthly, sensual, devilish. Sensual being of the senses of this life. I'm not talking about anything immoral necessarily, other than the fact that it's not of God. It's all about, what, about us. And envy does, it is a very selfish emotion, a very selfish character trait. I don't have what they do. I want what they have. It's, I don't remember where I heard this term, but I like it. It's navel-gazing. I'm looking right at me. I'm what matters. Everything else goes out. I'm, this is where I live selfishly, self-centeredly. It's all about me. That's envy. Envy is part of that. Continuing on with James 3, I think it's verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So where envying is, is confusion. Is there confusion in our world today? Lots of confusion. And God says it's part and parcel with envy. Because we want what somebody else has. How many people get discontent with what they are? I want what somebody else has. I want to be something else. I want to do something else. I am not good enough. And I want this other thing. There's envy there. I want to be something that I'm not. And not understanding that God created, that, that what, how does it put it? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The God made you on purpose. And when we follow His plan, we live within His boundaries, it is a wonderful and amazing thing. It won't always be easy. <coughs> Serving God's difficult. But there's no better life. There's no better life. Envy. Uh, look at Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. Sound being that which is stable, it's firm, it's got a foundation. Uh, we could say it's founded upon Christ. 
It's a sound life. Uh, a sound heart is the life of the flesh. But envy, the rottenness of the bones. Yikes. I, I think, let's see, the only person I, I'm fairly certain, uh, Carrie, when you broke your leg, there got some infection in there? Yeah. And it was not good, right? It's not fun getting that fixed either, I imagine. Praise the Lord, I've never had a broken bone. Give me stitches all day long. I can handle those, man. Broken bones, never had one, don't want one. And uh, I'm risk-averse enough now that I generally do stuff that's going to avoid breaking bones or jarring my body. I don't want to do it. Uh, But Carrie had the broken leg, and infection got in there, and it it was not good. didn't help things at all. Anybody else had a broken bone that got infection? Not, Not just broken, but you got infection in there, okay? So nobody else except Carrie knows what that's like. Well, God tells us it's uh, the rottenness. Uh, envy is the rottenness of the bones. You get your bones rotten. If you don't take care, uh, we had a guy in our church, his dad had diabetes real bad, and uh, he was out working on a skid loader on his farmland there and didn't notice how bad his foot was getting and ended up having to have at least one leg amputated. I think it was both because it just tore it up tore it up. He did not even know that there was rottenness in his bones. And it was, you know, he was already on the the way to the end, and that didn't help. It did not help. It was a bad deal. Envy, you may think it's a small thing. It's just a little green with envy. It's not that big a deal. Yes, I'm envious. God says it's the rottenness of the bones. It'll eat you up from the inside out. I guess in that way, it's kind of like bitterness too, isn't it? Bitterness will tear you up. You, you've got to be able to get past those things. So if we desire to get past those things, if we don't want it to destroy us from the inside, to destroy and rot away the foundation of who we are, what's it got to, what, what do we have to do about it? Two real quick things. So if we're going to combat envy, we combat it with uh, what would be the, the opposite of envy? Somebody tell me. I've already kind of mentioned it. Huh? Contentment. Contentment. That instead of looking and saying, boy, I don't have this, I want what somebody else has, I'm going to be content with what I've got. And we live in a world that tries to push on us the bigger, the better. You've got to get this new thing. You don't have enough. You need more. You've got to get better situations. And God says, no, be content with what things, things that you have. You, you, don't, you don't have to just say, well, I live in a cardboard shack, and so I'm just supposed to be content with that. Come on, let's be reasonable here. Let's have some common sense, right? But God wants us to be content and not constantly just ambitious and striving and pursuing. I've got to have the next best thing. I've got to have the biggest. I've got to have the best. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. If they have it, then I got to have it too. And I want to be even before everybody else that I get the newest and best thing. No, be content. First Timothy 6, 8. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. For my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He owns a thaddle cattle. Oh man. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He he has everything we need, and instead of trying to constantly strive and pursue for more, let's be content with what he's given to us. Let's be content. All right, the second part of this, Romans chapter twelve and verse fifteen. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. First, combat envy with contentment. Be content. Secondly here, Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Somebody else got a blessing? Don't try to get it for yourself. Rejoice with what they've got. What a blessing. Their business did well. Man, I'm glad for you. I'm happy for that. That's awesome. I think that'll really help you out. They... I don't know, lots of situations, too many are flooding my mind at the moment, so I won't try to go through them all. Somebody is blessed, you, you have that sense that they have, uh, uh, what's our, what was our definition? Uh, real or supposed superiority or success. Maybe they're, you feel they're superior at you in something. Uh, I'll use this one illustration. Brother Eric, how, how long have, well, we haven't in a while, um, we've sung together more than once, right? Right. Uh, Eric's got a better voice than I have. 
it's different. I mean, we're just different people. Uh, I felt like when we were doing that in, in, uh, at the school and through our teen years and such, that maybe some of you would agree that I, it seemed like our voices blended well. But as far as musical quality, uh, overall, especially, Eric's got the better voice. I, I, I'm freely admit that. He's got a great voice. And he sings well. And there have been times where I was envious of that. But understanding, you know what? God's going to do different things with us. Praise the Lord. He's got the opportunity to minister in ways that I can't, that I, that I don't. And vice versa, you know, there's going to be those things where we're different and we do things. We may look at somebody else and say, man, I wish I had that ability. Well, God didn't give it to me. God didn't give it to you. He doesn't have that desire for you. Uh, grow where you're planted. Thrive where you're planted. Take the things that you can do that God has blessed you with and rejoice with them. Um, I gave up singing solos for a long time, starting when I was very young because of who I am that we won't just get into. But Eric has succeeded in singing solos numerous times. How many trophies or ribbons do you have from, from uh, none of them? They're all in the trash because they don't matter, right? <laughs> Probably who wants to keep that stuff around. But music festivals and camps over and over and over again, he would always get high marks in that kind of stuff. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. And we could talk about athleticism the same way. He's more athletic than I am. Um, there's probably a couple other ways that I could think of because we're different people. We're doing different things. Could I sit back here and, man, Eric, that bum. What, he's got all these things and I don't have none of that stuff and I just can't stand being around that guy. I have praised the Lord the times that uh, Eric and I have been able to talk and God blessing him, whether it's ministry, whether it's personal type stuff, just say, man, that's awesome. I'm glad that God has given you those opportunities. Uh, the house that he's got, got a great deal on a nice house, and they've been able to do improvements. And it would have been easy all those years ago to say, man, how come I can't get stuff like that? But God had a purpose for them because now Mrs. Watson is able to stay there in their finished basement that she's got a space for herself. That God knew what was coming up. God knew that. Who am I to sit back and say, boy, I'm grumbling and mad and envious over all those kind of things. God was preparing him for the next stages of life. God was working in his life. And I, I can't help but think, if God's doing that for one person, one family, what about you? What is God doing in your life that, that maybe you've gotten it all out of order and you're not content with what God has given you because you're looking at somebody else, but God's preparing for something in your life as well. God knows what's coming up. He knows what's around the bend. <laughs> like this morning's message, he knows the tragedy that maybe you don't need this other thing, that for somebody else it's a blessing, but on you it would be an anchor. And it would be this thing that drags you down and keeps you from doing what God's will is. And God knows that, and he says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give that to you. Because you may think it a great blessing now, but there will come a day when you will wish, as, with everything that's in you, you wish you've never had that thing. So I'm not going to let you have it because I know it's coming. Be content. Be content and rejoice when somebody else has that real or supposed superiority. When that real or supposed success and rejoice with them. Don't try and take it from them. Don't try to get it for yourself. Don't pursue what God doesn't have for you. Stand with me if you would.